Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? No, it wasn't. Welcome to Quarantinema, a.k.a. Quarantinema, the only podcast where we don't know how to say the name of the show. My name is Connor Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us today. Hope everyone is doing well out there. Hope you're all staying safe. Hope you're all wearing your mask when you go outside, despite how stupid you look. Uh, I have... I'm wearing mine a lot more now because, uh, as I mentioned in the last episode, we have a new mascot slash uh, animal correspondent, so movie dog correspondent, I guess, uh, is his proper title. Living with Tony, he's been with us for about four or five days now, and he is the coolest dog alive, hands down. Uh, we actually watched Animal House together tonight, so there was an animal in my house watching Animal House. That was the best joke that I've written in months. Uh, so today we're going to talk about a little film uh, called Animal House, widely regarded as one of the funniest movies of all time, and I agree. Uh, not the funniest to me, but definitely one of. It's I'm going to put it in my top ten for now. My five, it's it's on the cusp. Um, kind of, you know, it comes and goes like the ocean's what goes in and out of the top five. Uh, it's it's really tough for me to lock down my top two or three even. Uh, but yeah, Animal House definitely in my top 10 of all time and a lot of other people's top 10s as well. And it's, it's just such a classic movie. It's such a well executed comedy from, uh, the one liners to all the physical comedy involved to just the, the sight gags and perfect casting all the way around, uh, you know, top to bottom. This is an amazing cast. Uh, everyone fits their role perfectly. Before we dive into the movie here, uh, a couple episodes ago we were talking about uh, our new friends at Fuddruckers. That's right, Fuddruckers, thanks to Anaconda's Hunt for the Blood Orchid. Uh, give that episode a listen now when you get a chance. Uh, so we tweeted, or we put out on social media a clip of us talking about the story about how I, the only reason I owned that DVD was I was at Fuddruckers and my dad told me to go across the street to Blockbuster and buy a DVD. Uh, so we took that audio clip and we put it out on socials and we tagged Fuddruckers in it and they actually liked it. Uh, they sent us a DM saying that, and I quote, you deserve the world's greatest burger once this is all over. Fist, burger, fist emojis. Uh, so we screenshotted that, put it out there, uh, made some comments about it, and uh, Fuddruckers was liking a bunch of that stuff. So we want to give a very special shout out to our good friends at Fuddruckers. And with that, I want to introduce a new segment uh, that we'll be repeating as much as we feel necessary. Uh, this new segment is called 10 Seconds of Fuddruckers, starting now. Fuddruckers, 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 and time. And this has been 10 Seconds of Fuddruckers. Well, let's get into the movie. So again, Animal House. Directed by John Landis, uh, one of uh, comedy's great directors. Uh, he did the Blues Brothers, Trading Places, Coming to America. He seemingly had his hands in everything uh, in the 80s. This movie came out in 78. It was a big breakthrough for him. Uh, it was written by Harold Ramis, another uh, comedy legend, and Douglas Kenny, one of the, the great what-ifs in uh, American really cinema history, not just comedy. Uh, but th this dude was a relentless comedy writer. He uh, he started the National Lampoon back when he was at Harvard. Uh, him, him and his friends, they turned that uh, into a full-time magazine, which turned into radio, which turned into ideas for TV shows, which turned into 
uh, movies, which turned into Animal House uh, and, you know, the National Anthem Vacation franchise and all that stuff with Chevy Chase. Uh, but Douglas Kenny was kind of the guy at the forefront of National Anthem. There's a really, really good movie on Netflix out there I want you all to watch. Uh, it stars Will Forte. Uh, it's called A Feudal and Stupid Gesture. A Feudal and Stupid Gesture with Will Forte. It stars everybody you know uh, in comedy right now. Uh, they're ba they basically just kind of go through and talk about uh, you know, the beginning of National Lampoon and Doug Kenny's story. I mentioned he's one of the big what-ifs uh, that ever happened. So he wrote Animal House, and then he wrote Caddyshack back-to-back. So two of the biggest uh, comedies and well-received comedies in American history wrote those back-to-back -back that came out about two years apart. And uh, then he fell off a cliff in Hawaii and died uh, at the age of 33. And he was working on some other stuff. It's a, it's a tragic story uh, about a, a brilliant comedic talent. You know, there's the, the movie, the movie's really good. It dives into a lot about, it dives into the fact that, you know, he was having trouble uh, coping with, uh, you know, graduating and moving to the real world, when all he wanted to do was just joke around and have all the stuff, and he basically just treated life as one big joke. Uh, but as we all know, that's not always the case. So, but give that, let, let's not get too sidetracked. Give that movie a whirl. It's really, really good. There's a lot of cool scenes in the movie uh, that are almost semi behind the scenes uh, scenes, I guess, in uh, for an, both Animal House and Caddyshack. But sticking to Animal House here. Uh, so the movie stars John Belushi, uh, one of the, f the best comedic girls of all time. Uh, Karen Allen, you might know her from the Indiana Jones franchise. Uh, Tom Hulse, who plays um, Pinto, one of the new pledges in the in the fraternity. Uh, and he actually went on to become an Oscar nominee for Amadeus uh, just about five years after this. So you never know where uh, certain actors are going to end up. Stephen First uh, plays Flounder. And I have, a, I have a very special connection with Flounder. Uh, so Brenna and I, Brenna's my girlfriend's life roommate, uh, when we first met, we were friends for like two or three years before we actually started dating. Uh, but when we first met, uh, I, we were just drunk at a house party. She told me her name was Brenna. And I told her, well, I'm going to call you Flounder. I think I had watched Animal House that afternoon. And so for the first year or two that, uh, we were friends. I didn't call her Brenna. I called her Flounder. And even today in my phone, she is Brenna, quote, Flounder. So little, little, little bit about us uh, for you here. The movie also stars Tim Matheson, Peter Rygart, James Widows, Bruce McGill, Donald Sutherland, John Vernon, and Mark Metcalf. Uh, it, this is a perfectly cast movie. Uh, you'll recognize a lot of the faces, not so much the names. Um, you know, Tim Matheson, he was in the West Wing for a little bit. Peter Rygard, you've definitely seen him. He's in The Mask, The Sopranos. Uh, Bruce McGill, he's, uh, you know, he went on to have a long, successful career as a character actor. Uh, more so in dramas. And I mean, really, they're, they all had big, successful careers in dramas. Uh, but uh, one movie that really sticks out for me with him, Law Abiding Citizen. Great movie. Uh, always, it, it's, that's definitely in the TNT We Know Drama Hall of Fame. So uh, earlier I mentioned all the stuff that makes this uh, such a great comedy. And, you know, just top to bottom, it does everything well. It just makes you laugh throughout the movie. Uh, and it makes you laugh in different ways. Uh, that's just, it's great writing. Um, it's great performances. It's great uh, set design. You know, there's a lot of visual gags in this movie as well. And there's so much um, interesting things that they do in the movie that really kind of make it stick out in its own era. Look at some of the party scenes in the movies. You see 
the cast really sticking on their own ways. You know, uh, there's a scene with D-Day where he's right, like he rides in on a motorcycle and he goes up the stairs and then he does that, like he, uh, he plays William Tell on his, uh, on his throat, if that makes any sense. Uh, and then you have Hoover, uh, you know, juggling tennis rackets and stuff like that. Stuff you don't really see uh, today, you know, guys having these weird quirky talents, but I guess that was just the 70s for you. That's what you did when you were bored, I guess. You just kind of learned how to do shit like that. I wouldn't know. And speaking of uh, the 70s, if there, there's not many movies that I wish I could go back and live in that time when it came out so I could have experienced it. This is definitely one of those movies. Now, I love this movie. I think the first time I saw it, I was maybe 13 or 14. And I, I think my my dad bought me a Chris, uh, copy for Christmas, or so, someone in my family bought me a copy for Christmas. But my mom didn't want me watching it, so she hid it. And I think when she went out one day, I found it, and I watched it. And my life pretty much stayed the same, but it was just a really funny movie. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the, uh, if there's one, if there's a couple movies out there that I wish I could go back uh, to 1978 and see, uh, just so I could experience it with everyone else when it came out uh, who hadn't seen this before, that's this is definitely on that list of movies. Uh, I talked about this in the All, Pre All the President's Men episode. You know, the movie doesn't have the same impact on me as it did with someone that would have seen it back in 1974 or whenever it came out. But this movie, I mean, still, it still had a great impact on me, but I just can't imagine seeing this with everyone else for the first time because it's been so, it's been copied and spoofed and, you know, ripped off so many times since. It, it, like, it's a classic. Everyone knows a lot of the gags from the movies that I, I, I've seen this movie at least 50 times uh, by now. I can almost recite the thing to you by heart. But uh, now this is definitely something that I would have loved to have actually seen uh, back when it was in theaters in the 70s. Uh, and the cast, everyone is everyone is cast perfectly. Uh, all, all the guys in Delta, all the guys in the douchey frat, uh, all the girls, they're just, it's, it, it's a perfectly cast movie. Uh, you got, John Belushi is Bluto, and this is one of... So I, I, I paid more attention to this performance specifically uh, when I was watching it this time around. So I've always noticed that John Belushi doesn't have that actually... Ha or he doesn't actually have that many lines uh, in the movie. It's definitely more of a physical role for him. But all of the best gags in the movie are his. Like, all the most memorable scenes are John Belushi's scenes, particularly when he doesn't say anything. Uh, you know, that think of the scene where he's putting all the food on his tray or he's uh, sneaking uh, or he's being peeping Tom and uh, the girls from the sorority. That scene hasn't aged well, um, but it's impossible not to laugh when he falls off the ladder, uh, at least in my opinion. But, yep, definitely uh, couldn't do a scene like that. Couldn't really do a movie uh, like this uh, in today's world. Uh, it's just kind of a sign of the times we live in, but doesn't mean you can't still enjoy this movie. It was a different time, it was a different world, and yeah, some yeah, some of the some of the jokes, some of the bits haven't aged well. Um, I'm it it doesn't a lot of the stuff doesn't really bother me, so to speak. Obviously, being a peeping tom uh, and stuff like that, and all the all the race jokes that they make, uh, they they don't fly today. Uh, it's just not cool anymore. It's never it's never really been cool, I guess. Uh, but at the same time, there's no harm in just liking a movie. Uh, but it, hey, if it makes you laugh, it makes you laugh. One of the best performances in the movie, which I don't think receives nearly enough credit, 
is Mark Metcalf as Niedermeyer. And Niedermeyer is, so he, he's in the douchey frat. He's like the head of the ROTC or something on campus. Like he rides, he rides his big white horse. This guy's just got the best combination of face and voice. Uh, he, he was cast absolutely perfectly. He's just such, he's such a dink. <laughs> and like you, you just hate this guy from the second you see him and he starts talking and you know he's just, he, he, he he's one of the best worst characters of all time. No one roots for Niedermeyer. Everyone likes Niedermeyer. I mean, like I'm not putting this guy on a Darth Vader pedestal of you know quality movie movie villain. It's not that kind of movie. Uh, but Niedermeyer doesn't get the get the love he deserves. Um, and one thing that actually made me excited to watch this, I saw Mark Metcalf in an episode of Seinfeld uh, a few weeks ago, and it was the one where he plays Maestro, and him and Kramer start a pool hall in George's parents' bed, old, like George's old bedroom or something like that. It's a very funny episode, and uh, I, I, was, I, I don't know how many times I've seen Seinfeld, but I never really put two and two together that that was the same guy. So if you're a Seinfeld fan, keep an eye out for that episode. And Niedermeyer uh, is the maestro, which I bet a lot of other people knew, but I just picked up on. I'm not a diehard Seinfeld guy. Uh, I've watched the series through, I don't know, probably two, three times, but there's some episodes that I've seen dozens of times. There's some episodes I've only seen once or twice. So uh, one thing I also noticed while I was watching the movie this time that I've, I've definitely noticed it before and I laugh at it, but this time, like, I really, like, kind of honed in on how much they did it. There's so much broken glass <laughs> in this movie. Like, it seems like almost every single scene, some type of glass is being broken, whether it's beer bottles or windows or, you know, anything like that. Just something is being smashed with the same sound effect every single, like, every single time. And it's just, like, it's... One of those things, like, if you kind of notice how much they do it, it makes it that much funnier. Like, I, the first time I saw it, like, it wasn't one of the things that I was really keying in on. But now, having seen it so many times, and, you know, I, I don't really have to pay attention to the plot as much uh, and a lot of the jokes just because I, you know, I already know it. Uh, I've heard them a bunch of times, so I get to focus in on a couple of things. And this is one of those things I keyed in on uh, was... Uh, just all, like, I don't know what their budget was uh, for throwaway glass, or breakaway glass on this movie. If you don't know what breakaway glass is, uh, it's exactly what it sounds like on movie sets. If you have a vase or a window or something that, that's going to be intentionally broken, uh, particularly over somebody, you can basically hit use this glass and hit people with it. It smashes, but it doesn't hurt anybody. It just breaks apart really easily. Uh, funny story about a poor use of breakaway glass once in pineapple express which we vaguely talked about before we'll talk about it much later down the road but in pineapple express the fight scene with uh seth rogan and james franco and danny mcbride uh <laughs> danny mcbride smashes a bong over james franco's head and it was supposed to be throwaway glass but there was i think there was water in the bong so the glass itself didn't break the way it was supposed to and james franco ended up needing stitches the more you know. Okay, before I get into the did you knows, I just want to vaguely discuss about one of the best party scenes in movie history, which was the scene with o the toga party, Otis Day and the Knights. This is a perfect song 
it's a perfect scene. There's very few scenes in movie history that look as fun uh, as the Toga Party sequence does. Uh, just everything from dressing up to the live bands. And I don't think I ever saw a live band at a house party in college. Uh, but then again, I hated going to fraternity, so maybe I was missing something. But yeah, Otis Day and the Knights, their rendition of Shout, uh, absolutely kills it. It's a huge hit on the Jumbotron at sporting events and stuff like that. I know uh, when I was at, back in school at Michigan State University, Go Green, uh, they played it at all the basketball games, and, and you know, in between timeouts or something like that. Uh, particularly once uh, we had just blown the game open or we knew we were going to win. And the whole place went berserk. It was, it was awesome. So a lot of fun memories with that scene. On a personal note, so this one time we were, before I was doing this, this being <laughs> my, uh, my podcast that makes me so much money and gets me so much exposure. Uh, before I was doing this, I worked in professional baseball. And for one of the teams I worked at, we were... Uh, I worked in, on the promotion side of everything. We were planning an animal house night, and we never got to do it because we couldn't really get anything off the ground. But one of the things we wanted to do was we wanted to get Otis Night, uh, Otis Day in the Nights, uh, to come out to actually see the game. And they're they're all still here. Uh, they're still touring. They're still uh, playing. They're very expensive. It was like I think it was like seventy five hundred bucks just to get them here, <laughs> uh, because they have it's like seven guys all their gear and they live, they all live like throughout the country. They don't live in one spot. So like if we wanted to book them for uh, the, the game that night, then we would have had to pay for seven different flights from seven different locations and pay for all the shipping on their bin and stuff like that. And that was just before you even got to the talent fee and all the restrictions there. So Otis Day in the night still around, still very expensive, but uh, Hey, if you, if, if there are people out there who are willing to charge you, why not? Right. Okay, so let's get into the did you knows. Uh, every time I watch a movie, the first thing I do is I go on IMDb and I go right to the did you know section at the bottom of the page and I just kind of scroll through those and I pick a couple out and I give my takes on them. Uh, so our first one here, and there's a lot to scroll through. This uh, It's one of the most famous movies of all time. There's going to be a lot of facts and stories out there. Uh, so I tried to pick uh, three that I thought really stood out. Okay, uh, number one. According to director John Landis, Universal Pictures president Ned Tannen objected so strongly to the Dexter Lake Club scene that he interrupted a screening of a film and ordered the scene to be removed immediately, claiming it would cause race riots in the theaters. In response, Landis screened the film for Richard Pryor, who then wrote a note to Tannen which read, Ned, Animal House is fucking funny and white people are crazy. Richard. <laughs> Thank God for Richard Pryor, because this, this is a very funny scene. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, a bunch of white people in a, like in a black people club. It's, it's a scene that we've all seen a hundred times. You know, it's just, you know, race comedy. It's, it's an easy, it's low hanging fruit. Uh, obviously in the seventies, it was maybe a little more touch and go. I mean, it's still, a, it's still a touchy subject today, uh, but to see something like that on film to do it in this way. Uh, but it's it's still a very funny scene. Uh, you know, the guys all walk in. They think Otis loves them. Uh, Otis Day of the Nights, the band. Uh, they think that they love him. Then they realize that they don't give a shit about him. They don't even know who they are. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, the whole can we dance with the dates thing. And it's, you know, it's it's a scene that probably wouldn't work today. But uh, that, as I alluded to earlier, it's already out there. They didn't make it today. They made it a long time ago. So no harm, no foul. No, there's no malintention in any of these scenes. 
uh, obviously, it's comedy. You know, the, the point is to make people laugh, and it still makes me laugh. So it's a very funny scene. Thank you, Richard Pryor, for keeping that, for convincing the studio to keep that scene in the movie. All right, number two. John Belushi had to fly back and forth from Oregon to New York twice a week in order to shoot the film while rehearsing and taping Saturday Night Live. Uh, so, all right, so a couple, couple things about that one. So the movie is filmed, it's Faber College in the movie, but it's technically, uh, it was filmed on, at the University of Oregon in Eugene. So they were shooting there. He had SNL going on at the time. So, and as you all know, it's SNL, so like there's new episodes every single week. And this movie, he's, you know, it's a limited shooting schedule. And part of the other thing about me kind of honing in on John Belushi's stuff this time was I got to notice how few scenes he's actually in. Like, I, obviously, he's the headliner in the movie, but it's not like he's, you know, head and shoulders above everyone else as far as screen time goes. Guys like Otter, Boone, Flounder, you know, those are the guys that really get the bulk uh, of the screen time here. Of course, John Belushi gets the best gags. Uh, but between just n now that makes more sense knowing that he was, you know, he wasn't around as much as all these other guys were. And I don't believe this has been done since, but I, I and I don't think it was while this was, no, it wasn't while this was going on. Uh, but there was a time with John Belushi where at one point he had the number one movie uh, in Blues Brothers at the box office, uh, the highest rated show on TV and Saturday Night Live and the number one song on the Billboard charts is something like that uh, with uh, Soul Man from uh, Blues Brothers. So he had all he was number one at all three of those things in the same week, which I don't think anyone's ever done since. So John Belushi, gone too soon. Really wish we got to see uh, more of him. But uh, look up his old SNL clips. He's a very, he, I mean, the guy's a legend. And the third and final did you know here, uh, the scene in which Bluto, John Belushi, uh, crushes a beer can against his forehead and smashes a beer bottle over his head to cheer Flounder up, took 18 takes to get it right, because Stephen First, a.k.a. Flounder, kept breaking character by laughing. I don't blame the guy. Um, I wonder at what point does that become just super frustrating for everyone on set? Like, obviously... John Belushi can't stop being funny. He can't dial it down in any way because what he's doing is working. Uh, so he just has to keep doing it and doing it until Flounder stays in character. Because like if he's not crying hysterically, you know, it's not the scene doesn't work. It's not. It's just not as funny. You know, it's John Belushi's time to shine. But if Flounder's straight face there, the joke doesn't work and the bit's you know stupid. It probably wouldn't have made the cut of the movie. Uh, but I, I'd say probably after like five or six times, I would just like, okay, like, yeah, like, you know what he's going to do. Stop laughing. <laughs> but maybe that just pushed John Belushi to go a little harder and made the scene that much better. But eventually they got it done. Uh, Stephen First, I believe he unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Stephen First passed away in uh, 2017 at the age of 63. Uh, so that's a, that's a you know obviously that's a bummer with some of these older movies in the collection is that a lot of the guys aren't around anymore, uh, but you know there's a lot of a lot of the other guys in this movie are still around and still you know doing great work in both movies and TV. Kevin Bacon, can't forget about Te Kevin Bacon. He always gets credit for uh, this being his first big movie. Well, speaking of Kevin Bacon, one thing I want to do. Okay, so I'm gonna have so much time on my hands the next couple of weeks here. Uh, I'm starting to get bored with the stuff I am doing uh, already. I I want to start doing this bit. I'm not going to do it every episode because it's going to be too much work. 
I want to do like some kind of like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon with movies, not necessarily Kevin Bacon movies, but like, I want to take, you know, one move. I want to take two movies and find a mutual, like, and like map out how they're related to each other in some way. Uh, like, like, okay, let's take gladiator and eight mile. This is a short example. So gladiator and eight mile. Okay. So gladiator stars, Russell Crowe, Russell Crowe was in, LA Confidential with Kim Basinger and Kim Basinger plays Eminem's mom in 8 Mile. Boom. So they're X number of the move, the two movies are X number of people separated from one another. So that's something that I want to try and do. Uh, will I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to do it all the time. And if that was too confusing, I'll try it in one of the episodes next week, maybe. And uh, we'll maybe we'll get a better shot of how that will actually play out. Also, one more thing I want to try and do. Uh, as we're we're trying to have more fun with social media here, I know it's you know there's only so much we can do <laughs> being cooped up, but luckily we have movies on our side. Uh, so there's one thing that I want to try and do uh, for all you listeners. So if you're listening to this, I'm, uh, we're going to start something called the Animal House Challenge uh, on our social media pages, and you can check us out at Quarantinema Pod. Uh, we're going to be on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, so what this is is Take a picture of yourself uh, wearing a sweater of the college that you went to. So for me, I'll be wearing my Michigan State sweater. And just take a picture of you chugging something. Uh, We'll have a picture up there. It could be a beer. It could be Jack Daniels. It could be, you know, bottle of wine. I don't care what it is. Just I want to see a picture of you chugging something. Uh, And again, we're going to call it the Animal House Challenge. Hashtag Animal House Challenge. Uh, So give that a whirl. And, you know, challenge when you do it, I don't know, tag five friends in it or something. And we'll... Uh, see if we can have some fun with this. Uh, and speaking of social medias, find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Corn Cinema Pod. You can see pictures of Tony, our new do- movie dog correspondent slash mascot. And you can also find out when new episodes are posted, clips from other episodes are posted, and maybe sometimes we'll just dive into I'll just po- I'll just post random graphics from other things we talked about. I know with the Anacondas episode, we uh, talked about James Marsden and Matthew Marsden a lot. There's some content out there. Uh, but yeah, thank you all again for listening. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Uh, remember, stay inside, wash your hands, wear your mask, do all that shit. Remember, don't be a hero. Stay inside, watch a movie.